Chapter 2, Part G of The Wealth of Nations, Book 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera. The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Book 5, Chapter 2, Part G of the sources of the general or public revenue of the society. Malt is consumed not only in the brewery of beer and ale, but in the manufacture of low wines and spirits. If the malt tax were to be raised to eighteen shillings upon the quarter, it might be necessary to make some abatement in the different excises which are imposed upon those particular sorts of low wines and spirits, of which malt makes any part of the materials. In what are called malt spirits, it makes commonly but a third part of the materials, the other two-thirds being either raw barley or one-third barley and one-third wheat. In the distillery of malt spirits, both the opportunity and the temptation to smuggle are much greater than either in a brewery or in a malt-house, the opportunity on account of the smaller bulk and greater value of the commodity, and the temptation on account of the superior height of the duties, which amounted to three shillings ten and two-thirds pence upon the gallon of spirits. By increasing the duties upon malt, and reducing those upon the distillery, both the opportunities and the temptation to smuggle would be diminished, which might occasion a still further augmentation of revenue. It has for some time past been the policy of Great Britain to discourage the consumption of spiritous liquors, on account of their supposed tendency to ruin the health and to corrupt the morals of the common people. According to this policy, the abatement of the taxes upon the distillery ought not to be so great as to reduce, in any respect, the price of those liquors. Spiritous liquors might remain as dear as ever, while at the same time the wholesome and invigorating liquors of beer and ale might be considerably reduced in their price. The people might thus be in part relieved from one of the burdens of which they at present complain the most, while at the same time the revenue might be considerably augmented. The objections of Dr. Devenant to this alteration in the present system of excise duties seem to be without foundation. Those objections are that the tax, instead of dividing itself, as at present, pretty equally upon the profit of the maltster, upon that of the brewer, and upon that of the retailer, would, so far as it affected profit, fall altogether upon that of the maltster that the maltster could not so easily get back the amount of the tax in the advanced price of his malt as the brewer and retailer in the advanced price of their liquor, and that so heavy a tax upon malt might reduce the rent and profit of barley land. No tax can ever reduce for any considerable time the rate of profit in any particular trade, which must always keep its level with other trades in the neighborhood. The present duties upon malt, beer, and ale do not affect the profits of the dealers in those commodities, who all get back the tax with an additional profit, in the enhanced price of their goods. A tax, indeed, may render the goods upon which it is imposed so dear as to diminish the consumption of them. But the consumption of malt is in malt liquors, and a tax of eighteen shillings upon the quarter of malt could not well render those liquors dearer than the different taxes, amounting to twenty-four or twenty-five shillings, do at present. Those liquors, on the contrary, would probably become cheaper, and the consumption of them would be more likely to increase than to diminish. It is not very easy to understand why it should be more difficult for the maltster to get back eighteen shillings in the advanced price of his malt than it is at present for the brewer to get back twenty-four, or twenty-five, 
sometimes thirty shillings in that of his liquor. The maltster, indeed, instead of a tax of six shillings, would be obliged to advance one of eighteen shillings upon every quarter of malt. But the brewer is at present obliged to advance a tax of twenty-four or twenty-five, sometimes thirty shillings, upon every quarter of malt which he brews. It could not be more inconvenient for the maltster to advance a lighter tax than it is at present for the brewer to advance a heavier one. The maltster does not always keep in his granaries a stock of malt, which it will require a longer time to dispose of than the stock of beer and ale, which the brewer frequently keeps in his cellars. The former, therefore, may frequently get the returns of his money as soon as the latter. But whatever inconveniency might arise to the maltster from being obliged to advance a heavier tax, it could easily be remedied by granting him a few months longer credit than is at present commonly given to the brewer. Nothing could reduce the rent and profit of barley land which did not reduce the demand for barley. But a change of system, which reduced the duties upon a quarter of malt brewed into beer and ale, from twenty-four and twenty-five shillings to eighteen shillings, would be more likely to increase than diminish that demand. The rent and profit of barley land, besides, must always be nearly equal to those of other equally fertile and equally well-cultivated land. If they were less, some part of the barley land would soon be turned to some other purpose, and if they were greater, more land would soon be turned to the raising of barley. When the ordinary price of any particular produce of land is at what may be called a monopoly price, a tax upon it necessarily reduces the rent and profit of the land which grows it. A tax upon the produce of those precious vineyards, of which the wine falls so much short of the effectual demand, that its price is always above the natural proportion to that of the produce of other equally fertile and equally well-cultivated land, would necessarily reduce the rent and profit of those vineyards. The price of the wines being already the highest that could be got for the quantity commonly sent to market, it could not be raised higher without diminishing that quantity, and the quantity could not be diminished without still greater loss, because the lands could not be turned to any other equally valuable produce. The whole weight of the tax, therefore, would fall upon the rent and profit, properly upon the rent of the vineyard. When it has been proposed to lay any new tax upon sugar, our sugar planters have frequently complained that the whole weight of such taxes fell not upon the consumer, but upon the producer, they never having been able to raise the price of their sugar after the tax higher than it was before. The price had, it seems, before the tax, been a monopoly price and the arguments adduced to show that sugar was an improper subject of taxation, demonstrated perhaps that it was a proper one. The gains of monopolists, whenever they can become at, being certainly of all subjects the most proper. But the ordinary price of barley has never been a monopoly price, and the rent and profit of barley land have never been above their natural proportion to those of other equally fertile and equally well-cultivated land. The different taxes which have been imposed upon malt, beer, and ale have never lowered the price of barley, have never reduced the rent and profit of barley land. The price of malt to the brewer has constantly risen in proportion to the taxes imposed upon it, and those taxes, together with the different duties upon beer and ale, have constantly either raised the price, or, what comes to the same thing, reduced the quality of those commodities to the consumer. The final payment of those taxes has fallen constantly upon the consumer, and not upon the producer. 
the only people likely to suffer by the change of system here proposed are those who brew for their own private use but the exemption which this superior rank of people at present enjoy from very heavy taxes which are paid by the poor labourer and artificer is surely most unjust and unequal and ought to be taken away even though this change was never to take place it has probably been the interest of this superior order of people however which has hitherto prevented a change of system that could not well fail both to increase the revenue and to relieve the people besides such duties as those of custom and excise above mentioned there are several others which affect the price of goods more unequally and more indirectly of this kind are the duties which in france are called pages which in old saxon times were called the duties of passage and which seem to have been originally established for the same purpose as our turnpike tolls or the tolls upon our canals and navigable rivers for the maintenance of the road or of the navigation those duties when applied to such purposes are most properly imposed according to the bulk or weight of the goods as they were originally local and provincial duties applicable to local and provincial purposes the administration of them was in most cases entrusted to the particular town parish or lordship in which they were levied such communities being in some way or other supposed to be accountable for the application the sovereign who is altogether unaccountable has in many countries assumed to himself the administration of those duties and though he has in most cases enhanced very much the duty he has in many entirely neglected the application if the turnpike tolls of great britain should ever become one of the resources of government we may learn by the example of many other nations what would probably be the consequence such tolls no doubt are finally paid by the consumer but the consumer is not taxed in proportion to his expense when he pays not according to the value but according to the bulk or weight of what he consumes when such duties are imposed not according to the bulk or weight but according to the supposed value of the goods they become properly a sort of inland customs or excise which obstruct very much the most important of all branches of commerce the interior commerce of the country in some small states duties similar to those passage duties are imposed upon goods carried across the territory either by land or by water from one foreign country to another these are in some countries called transit duties some of the little italian states which are situated upon the po and the rivers which run into it derive some revenue from duties of this kind which are paid altogether by foreigners and which perhaps are the only duties that one state can impose upon the subjects of another without obstruction in any respect the industry or commerce of its own the most important transit duty in the world is that levied by the king of denmark upon all merchant ships which pass through the sound such taxes upon luxuries as the greater part of the duties of customs and excise though they all fall indifferently upon every different species of revenue and are paid finally or without any retribution by whoever consumes the commodities upon which they are imposed yet they do not always fall equally or proportionally upon the revenue of every individual as every man's humour regulates the degree of his consumption every man contributes rather according to his humour than proportion to his revenue the profuse contribute more the parsimonious less than their proper proportion during the minority of a man of great fortune he contributes commonly very little by his consumption towards the support of that state from whose protection he derives a great revenue 
those who live in another country contribute nothing by their consumption towards the support of the government of that country in which is situated the source of their revenue if in this latter country there should be no land tax nor any considerable duty upon the transference either of movable or immovable property as is the case in ireland such absentees may derive a great revenue from the protection of a government to the support of which they do not contribute a single shilling this inequality is likely to be greatest in a country of which the government is in some respects subordinate and dependent upon that of some other the people who possess the most extensive property in the dependent will in this case generally choose to live in the governing country ireland is precisely in this situation and we cannot therefore wonder that the proposal of a tax upon absentees should be so very popular in that country it might perhaps be a little difficult to ascertain either what sort or what degree of absence would subject a man to be taxed as an absentee or what precise time the tax should either begin or end if you accept however this very peculiar situation any inequality in the contribution of individuals which can arise from such taxes is much more than compensated by the very circumstance which occasions that inequality the circumstance that every man's contribution is altogether voluntary it being altogether in his power either to consume or not to consume the commodity taxed where such taxes therefore are properly assessed and upon proper commodities they are paid with less grumbling than any other when they are advanced by the merchant or manufacturer the consumer who finally pays them soon comes to confound them with the price of the commodities and almost forgets that he pays any tax such taxes are or may be perfectly certain or may be assessed so as to leave no doubt concerning either what ought to be paid or when it ought to be paid concerning either the quantity or the time of payment whatever uncertainty there may sometimes be either in the duties of customs in great britain or in other duties of the same kind in other countries it cannot arise from the nature of those duties but from the inaccurate or unskilful manner in which the law that imposes them is expressed taxes upon luxuries generally are and always may be paid piecemeal or in proportion as the contributors have occasion to purchase the goods upon which they are imposed in the time and mode of payment they are or may be of all taxes the most convenient upon the whole such taxes therefore are perhaps as agreeable to the three first of the four general maxims concerning taxation as any other they offend in every respect against the fourth such taxes in proportion to what they bring into the public treasury of the state always take out or keep out of the pockets of the people more than almost any other taxes they seem to do this in all the four different ways in which it is possible to do it first the levying of such taxes even when imposed in the most judicious manner requires a great number of custom-house and excise officers whose salaries and perquisites are a real tax upon the people which brings nothing into the treasury of the state this expense however it must be acknowledged is more moderate in great britain than in most other countries in the year which ended on the fifth of july seventeen seventy five the gross produce of the different duties under the management of the commissioners of excise in england amounted to five million five hundred and seven thousand three hundred and eight pounds eighteen shillings eight and a quarter pence which was levied at an expense of little more than five and a half per cent 
From this gross procedure, however, there must be deducted what was paid away in bounties and drawbacks upon the exportation of excisable goods, which will reduce the neat produce below five millions. The levying of the salt duty and excise duty, but under a different management, is much more expensive. The neat revenue of the customs does not amount to two millions and a half, which is levied at an expense of more than ten percent in the salaries of officers and other incidents. But the perquisites of custom-house officers are everywhere much greater than their salaries, at some ports more than double or triple those salaries. If the salaries of officers and other incidents, therefore, amount to more than ten percent upon the neat revenue of the customs, the whole expense of levying that revenue may amount, in salaries and perquisites together, to more than twenty or thirty percent. The officers of excise receive few or no perquisites, and the administration of that branch of the revenue being of more recent establishment is in general less corrupted than that of the customs into which length of time has introduced and authorized many abuses by charging upon malt the whole revenue which is at present levied by the different duties upon malt and malt liquors a saving it is supposed of more than fifty thousand pounds might be made in the annual expense of the excise by confining the duties of customs to a few sorts of goods and by levying those duties according to the excise laws, a much greater saving might probably be made in the annual expense of the customs. Secondly, such taxes necessarily occasion some obstruction or discouragement to certain branches of industry. As they always raise the price of the commodity taxed, they so far discourage its consumption and consequently its production. If it is a commodity of home growth or manufacture, less labor comes to be employed in raising and producing it. If it is a foreign commodity, of which the tax increases in this manner, the price, the commodities of the same kind which are made at home may thereby, indeed, gain some advantage in the home market, and a greater quantity of domestic industry may thereby be turned toward preparing them. But though this rise of price in a foreign commodity may encourage domestic industry in one particular branch, it necessarily discourages that industry in almost every other. The dearer the Birmingham manufacturer buys his foreign wine, the cheaper he necessarily sells that part of his hardware with which, or what comes to the same thing, with the price of which, he buys it. That part of his hardware, therefore, becomes of less value to him, and he has less encouragement to work at it. The dearer the consumers in one country pay for the surplus produce of another, the cheaper they necessarily sell that part of their own surplus produce with which, or what comes to the same thing with the price of which they buy it that part of their own surplus produce becomes of less value to them and they have less encouragement to increase its quantity all taxes upon consumable commodities therefore tend to reduce the quantity of productive labor below what it otherwise would be either in preparing the commodities taxed if they are home commodities or in preparing those with which they are purchased if they are foreign commodities such taxes too always alter more or less the natural direction of national industry and turn it into a channel always different from and generally less advantageous than that in which it would have run of its own accord thirdly the hope of evading such taxes by smuggling gives frequent occasion to forfeitures and other penalties which entirely ruin the smuggler a person who though no doubt highly blamable for violating the laws of his country is frequently incapable of violating those of natural justice and would have been in every respect an excellent citizen 
had not the laws of his country made that a crime which nature never meant to be so. In those corrupted governments, where there is at least a general suspicion of much unnecessary expense and great misapplication of the public revenue, the laws which guard it are little respected. Not many people are scrupulous about smuggling when, without perjury, they can find an easy and safe opportunity of doing so. To pretend to have any scruple about buying smuggled goods, though a manifest encouragement to the violation of the revenue laws and to the perjury which almost always attends it, would, in most countries, be regarded as one of those pedantic pieces of hypocrisy which, instead of gaining credit with anybody, serve only to expose the person who affects to practice them to the suspicion of being a greater knave than most of his neighbors. By this indulgence of the public, the smuggler is often encouraged to continue a trade which he is thus taught to consider as in some measure innocent, and when the severity of the revenue laws is ready to fall upon him, he is frequently disposed to defend with violence what he has been accustomed to regard as his just property. From being at first perhaps rather imprudent than criminal, he at last too often becomes one of the hardiest and most determined violators of the laws of society. By the ruin of the smuggler, his capital, which had before been employed in maintaining productive labor, is absorbed either in the revenue of the state or in that of the revenue officer, and is employed in maintaining unproductive, to the diminution of the general capital of the society, and of the useful industry which it might otherwise have maintained. Fourthly, such taxes, by subjecting at least the dealers in the taxed commodities to the frequent visits and odious examination of the tax-gatherers, expose them sometimes, no doubt, to some degree of oppression, and always to much trouble and vexation. And though vexation, as has already been said, is not, strictly speaking, expense, it is certainly equivalent to the expense at which every man would be willing to redeem himself from it. The laws of excise, though more effectual for the purpose for which they were instituted, are, in this respect, more vexatious than those of the customs. When a merchant has imported goods subject to certain duties of customs, when he has paid those duties and lodged the goods in his warehouse, he is not, in most cases, liable to any further trouble or vexation from the custom-house officer. It is otherwise with goods subject to duties of excise. The dealers have no respite from the continual visits and examination of the excise officers. The duties of excise are, upon this account, more unpopular than those of the customs, and so are the officers who levy them. Those officers, it is pretended, though in general perhaps they do their duty fully as well as those of the customs, yet, as that duty obliges them to be frequently very troublesome to some of their neighbors, commonly contract a certain hardness of character, which the others frequently have not. This observation, however, may very probably be the mere suggestion of fraudulent dealers, whose smuggling is either prevented or detected by their diligence. The inconveniences, however, which are, perhaps in some degree, inseparable from taxes upon consumable communities, fall as light upon the people of Great Britain as upon those of any other country of which the government is nearly as expensive. Our state is not perfect, and might be mended, but it is as good, or better, than that of most of our neighbors. In consequence of the notion that duties upon consumable goods were taxes upon the profits of merchants, those duties have, in some countries, been repeated upon every successive sale of the goods. If the profits of the merchant importer or merchant manufacturer were taxed, 
equality seemed to require that those of all the middle buyers who intervened between either of them and the consumer should likewise be taxed the famous alcavala of spain seems to have been established upon this principle it was at first a tax of ten per cent afterwards of fourteen per cent and it is at present only six per cent upon the sale of every sort of property whether movable or immovable and it is repeated every time the property is sold the levying of this tax requires a multitude of revenue officers sufficient to guard the transportation of goods not only from one province to another but from one shop to another it subjects not only the dealers in some sorts of goods but those in all sorts every farmer every manufacturer every merchant and shopkeeper to the continual visit and examination of the tax gatherers through the greater part of the country in which a tax of this kind is established nothing can be produced for distant sale the produce of every part of the country must be proportioned to the consumption of the neighbourhood it is to the alcavala accordingly that usteritz imputes the ruin of the manufacturers of spain he might have imputed to it likewise the declension of agriculture it being imposed not only upon manufactures but upon the rude produce of the land in the kingdom of naples there is a similar tax of three per cent upon the value of all contracts and consequently upon that of all contracts of sale it is both lighter than the spanish tax and the greater part of towns and parishes are allowed to pay a composition in lieu of it they levy this composition in what manner they please generally in a way that gives no interruption to the interior commerce of the place the neapolitan tax therefore is not near so ruinous as the spanish one the uniform system of taxation which with a few exceptions of no great consequence takes place in all the different parts of the united kingdom of great britain leaves the interior commerce of the country the inland and coasting trade almost entirely free the inland trade is almost perfectly free and the greater part of goods may be carried from one end of the kingdom to the other without requiring any permit or let pass without being subject to question visit or examination from the revenue officers there are a few exceptions but they are such as can give no interruption to any important branch of inland commerce of the country goods carried coastwise indeed require certificates or coast cockets if you accept coals however the rest are almost all duty free this freedom of interior commerce the effect of the uniformity of the system of taxation is perhaps one of the principal causes of the prosperity of great britain every great country being necessarily the best and most extensive market for the greater part of the productions of its own industry if the same freedom in consequence of the same uniformity could be extended to ireland and the plantations both the grandeur of the state and the prosperity of every part of the empire would probably be still greater than at present in france the different revenue laws which take place in different provinces require a multitude of revenue officers to surround not only the frontiers of the kingdom but those of almost each particular province in order either to prevent the importation of certain goods or to subject it to the payment of certain duties to the no small interruption of the interior commerce of the country some provinces are allowed to compound for the gabelle or salt tax others are exempted from it altogether some provinces are exempted from the exclusive sale of tobacco which the farmers-general enjoy through the greater part of the kingdom the aids which correspond to the excise in england are very different in different provinces some provinces are exempted from them 
and pay a composition or equivalent. In those in which they take place, and are in farm, there are many local duties which do not extend beyond a particular town or district. The traits, which correspond to our customs, divide the kingdom into three great parts. First, the provinces subject to the tariff of 1664, which are called the provinces of the five great farms, and under which are comprehended Picardy, Normandy, and the greater part of the interior provinces of the kingdom. Secondly, the provinces subject to the tariff of 1667, which are called the provinces reckoned foreign, and under which are comprehended the greater part of the frontier provinces, and thirdly, those provinces which are said to be treated as foreign, or which, because they are allowed a free commerce with foreign countries, are, in their commerce with the other provinces of France, subjected to the same duties as other foreign countries. These are Alsace, the three bishoprics of Mintz, Toul, and Verdun, and the three cities of Dunkirk, Bayonne, and Marseille. Both in the provinces of the five great farms, called so on account of an ancient division of the duties of customs into five great branches, each of which was originally the subject of a particular farm, though they are now all united into one, and in those which are said to be reckoned foreign, there are many local duties which do not extend beyond a particular town or district. There are some such even in the provinces which are said to be treated as foreign, particularly in the city of Marseilles. It is unnecessary to observe how much both the restraints upon the interior commerce of the country and the number of the revenue officers must be multiplied in order to guard the frontiers of those different provinces and districts which are subject to such different systems of taxation. Over and above the general restraints arising from this complicated system of revenue laws, the commerce of wine, after corn perhaps the most important production of France, is, in the greater part of the provinces, subject to particular restraints arising from the favor which has been shown to the vineyards of particular provinces and districts above those of others. The provinces most famous for their wines, it will be found, I believe, are those in which the trade in that article is subject to the fewest restraints of this kind. The extensive market which such provinces enjoy encourages good management both in the cultivation of their vineyards and in the subsequent preparation of their wines. Such various and complicated revenue laws are not peculiar to France. The little duchy of Milan is divided into six provinces, in each of which there is a different system of taxation, with regard to several different sorts of consumable goods. The still smaller territories of the Duke of Parma are divided into three or four, each of which has in the same manner a system of its own. Under such absurd management, nothing but the great fertility of the soil and happiness of the climate could preserve such countries from soon relapsing into the lowest state of poverty and barbarism. Taxes upon consumable commodities may either be levied by an administration of which the officers are appointed by government, and are immediately accountable to government, of which the revenue must, in this case, vary from year to year, according to the occasional variations in the produce of the tax, or they may be let in farm, for a rent certain, the farmer being allowed to appoint his own officers, who, though obliged to levy the tax in the manner directed by the law, are under his immediate inspection, and are immediately accountable to him. The best and most frugal way of levying a tax can never be by farm. Over and above what is necessary for paying the stipulated rent, the salaries of the officers, and the whole expense of administration, the farmer must always draw from the produce of the tax a certain profit, proportioned at least to the advance which he makes, 
to the risk which he runs, to the trouble which he is at, and to the knowledge and skill which it requires to manage so very complicated a concern. Government, by establishing an administration under their own immediate inspection, of the same kind with that which the farmer establishes, might at least save this profit, which is almost always exorbitant. To farm any considerable branch of the public revenue requires either a great capital or a great credit, circumstances which would alone restrain the competition for such an undertaking to a very small number of people. Of the few who have this capital or credit, a still smaller number have the necessary knowledge or experience, another circumstance which restrains the competition still further. The very few who are in condition to become competitors find it more for their interest to combine together, to become co-partners instead of competitors, and when the farm is set up to auction, to offer no rent but what is much below the real value. In countries where the public revenues are in farm, the farmers are generally the most opulent people. Their wealth would alone excite the public indignation, and the vanity which almost always accompanies such upstart fortunes, the foolish ostentation with which they commonly display that wealth, excite that indignation still more. The farmers of the public revenue never find the laws too severe, which punish any attempt to evade the payment of a tax. They have no bowels for the contributors, who are not their subjects, and whose universal bankruptcy, if it should happen the day after the farm is expired, would not much affect their interest. In the greatest exigencies of the state, when the anxiety of the sovereign for the exact payment of his revenue is necessarily the greatest, they seldom fail to complain, that without laws more rigorous than those which actually took place, it would be impossible for them to pay even the usual rent. In those moments of public distress, their commands cannot be disputed. The revenue laws, therefore, become gradually more and more severe. The most sanguinary are always to be found in countries where the greater part of the public revenue is in farm, the mildest in countries where it is levied under the immediate inspection of the sovereign. Even a bad sovereign feels more compassion for his people than can ever be expected from the farmers of his revenue. He knows that the permanent grandeur of his family depends upon the prosperity of his people, and he will never knowingly ruin that prosperity for the sake of any momentary interest of his own. It is otherwise with the farmers of his revenue, whose grandeur may frequently be the effect of the ruin and not of the prosperity of his people. A tax is sometimes not only farmed for a certain rent, but the farmer has, besides, the monopoly of the commodity taxed. In France, the duties upon tobacco and salt are levied in this manner. In such cases, the farmer, instead of one, levies two exorbitant profits upon the people, the profit of the farmer, and the still more exorbitant one of the monopolist. Tobacco being a luxury, every man is allowed to buy or not to buy as he chooses. But salt being a necessary, every man is obliged to buy of the farmer a certain quantity of it, because if he did not buy this quantity of the farmer, he would, it is presumed, buy it of some smuggler. The taxes upon both commodities are exorbitant. The temptation to smuggle, consequently, is to many people irresistible, while at the same time the rigor of the law and the vigilance of the farmer's officers render the yielding to the temptation almost certainly ruinous. The smuggling of salt and tobacco sends every year several hundred people to the galleys, besides a very considerable number whom it sends to the gibbet. Those taxes levied in this manner yield a very considerable revenue to government. In 1767, 
the farm of tobacco was let for twenty two millions five hundred and forty one thousand two hundred and seventy eight livres a year that of salt for thirty six millions four hundred and ninety two thousand four hundred and four livres the farm in both cases was to commence in seventeen sixty eight and to last for six years those who consider the blood of the people as nothing in comparison with the revenue of the prince may perhaps approve of this method of levying taxes similar taxes and monopolies of salt and tobacco have been established in many other countries particularly in the austrian and prussian dominions and in the greater part of the states of italy in france the greater part of the actual revenue of the crown is derived from eight different sources the tail the capitation the two vingtiems the gabelles the aides the traits the domain and the farm of tobacco the five last are in the greater part of the provinces under farm the three first are everywhere levied by an administration under the immediate inspection and direction of government and it is universally acknowledged that in proportion to what they take out of the pockets of the people they bring more into the treasury of the prince than the other five of which the administration is much more wasteful and expensive the finances of france seem in their present state to admit of three very obvious reformations first by abolishing the tail and the capitation and by increasing the number of the vingtiems so as to produce an additional revenue equal to the amount of those other taxes the revenue of the crown might be preserved the expense of collection might be much diminished the vexation of the inferior ranks of people which the tail and capitation occasion might be entirely prevented and the superior ranks might not be more burdened than the greater part of them are at present the vingtiem i have already observed is a tax very nearly of the same kind with what is called the land tax of england the burden of the tail it is acknowledged falls finally upon the proprietors of land and as the greater part of the capitation is assessed upon those who are subject to the tail at so much a pound of that other tax the final payment of the greater part of it must likewise fall upon the same order of people though the number of the vingtiems therefore was increased so as to produce an additional revenue equal to the amount of both those taxes the superior ranks of people might not be more burdened than they are at present many individuals no doubt would on account of the great inequalities with which the tale is commonly assessed upon the estates and tenants of different individuals the interest and opposition of such favored subjects are the obstacles most likely to prevent this or any other reformation of the same kind secondly by rendering the gabelle the aids the traits the taxes upon tobacco all the different customs and excises uniform in all the different parts of the kingdom those taxes might be levied at much less expense and the interior commerce of the kingdom might be rendered as free as that of england thirdly and lastly by subjecting all those taxes to an administration under the immediate inspection and direction of government the exorbitant profits of the farmers-general might be added to the revenue of the state the opposition arising from the private interest of individuals is likely to be as effectual for preventing the two last as the first-mentioned scheme of reformation the french system of taxation seems in every respect inferior to the british in great britain ten millions sterling are annually levied upon less than eight millions of people without its being possible to say that any particular order is oppressed from the collections of the abbe expili and the observations of the author of the essay upon the legislation and commerce of corn 
it appears probable that France, including the provinces of Lorraine and Bar, contains about 23 or 24 millions of people, three times the number perhaps contained in Great Britain. The soil and climate of France are better than those of Great Britain. The country has been much longer in a state of improvement and cultivation, and is, upon that account, better stocked with all those things which it requires a long time to raise up and accumulate, such as great towns and convenient and well-built houses, both in town and country. With these advantages it might be expected that in France a revenue of thirty millions might be levied for the support of the state, with as little inconvenience as a revenue of ten millions is in Great Britain. In 1765 and 1766 the whole revenue paid into the treasury of France, according to the best, though I acknowledge very imperfect accounts which I could get of it, usually run between three hundred and eight and three hundred and twenty-five millions of livres, that is, it did not amount to fifteen million sterling, not the half of what might have been expected, had the people contributed in the same proportion to their numbers as the people of Great Britain. The people of France, however, it is generally acknowledged, are much more oppressed by taxes than the people of Great Britain. France, however, is certainly the great empire in Europe, which, after that of Great Britain, enjoys the mildest and most indulgent government. In Holland, the heavy taxes upon the necessaries of life have ruined, it is said, their principal manufactures, and are likely to discourage, gradually, even their fisheries and their trade in shipbuilding. The taxes upon the necessaries of life are inconsiderable in Great Britain, and no manufacture has hitherto been ruined by them. The British taxes which bear hardest on manufactures are some duties upon the importation of raw materials, particularly upon that of raw silk. The revenue of the states-general, and of the different cities, however, is said to amount to more than five millions two hundred and fifty thousand pounds sterling, and as the inhabitants of the United Provinces cannot well be supposed to amount to more than a third part of those of Great Britain, they must, in proportion to their number, be much more heavily taxed. After all the proper subjects of taxation have been exhausted, if the exigencies of the state still continue to require new taxes, they must be imposed upon improper ones. The taxes upon the necessaries of life, therefore, may be no impeachment of the wisdom of that republic, which, in order to acquire and to maintain its independency, has, in spite of its great frugality, been involved in such expensive wars as have obliged it to contract great debts. The singular countries of Holland and Zealand, besides, require a considerable expense even to preserve their existence, or to prevent their being swallowed up by the sea, which must have contributed to increase considerably the load of taxes in those two provinces. The republican form of government seems to be the principal support of the present grandeur of Holland. The owners of great capitals, the great mercantile families, have generally either some direct share or some indirect influence in the administration of that government. For the sake of the respect and authority which they derive from this situation, they are willing to live in a country where their capital, if they employ it themselves, will bring them less profit, and if they lend it to another, less interest, and where the very moderate revenue which they can draw from it will purchase less of the necessaries and conveniencies of life than in any other part of Europe. The residence of such wealthy people necessarily keeps alive, in spite of all disadvantages, a certain degree of industry in the country. Any public calamity which should destroy the republican form of government, which should throw the whole administration into the hands of nobles and of soldiers, 
which should annihilate altogether the importance of those wealthy merchants, would soon render it disagreeable to them to live in a country where they were no longer likely to be much respected. They would remove both their residence and their capital to some other country, and the industry and commerce of Holland would soon follow the capitals which supported them. End of Book 5, Chapter 2, Part G